1 Peter 5.1 reads, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, certain phrases and sayings have a way of sticking around, even when their literal meaning has moved outside the realm of common experience. For example, people still say things such as, roll up the window. When was the last time you rolled up a window? Or hang up the phone when they mean tap the glowing screen and put it back in your pocket. Or you sound like a broken record. When was the last time you heard the sound of a broken record, if ever? Some of us are likely old enough to know the origin of these phrases. And with some work, we could probably dig up an artifact that would refresh our memory of what they literally refer to. But for most of us, they point to experiences beyond our own personal knowledge, which is why they are known as dead metaphors. They are dead metaphors. And one source explains that a dead metaphor is a figure of speech which has lost the original imagery of its meaning by extensive, repetitive, and popular usage or because it refers to an obsolete technology or forgotten custom. It could be argued that the metaphor that we are studying this morning that the church is the flock of God is just such a dead metaphor. For many of us, when we hear that the church is the flock of God, um, we aren't immediately struck by insight into the nature of the church. We don't necessarily chuckle at the comparison between a flock and a group of people in the church. That's because we don't really know all that much about sheep and shepherding. Of course, even as I say that, I know that there is sure to be someone here who actually does have some real experience with raising sheep, but I think we would be hard-pressed to find someone in here for whom this is still a regular daily part of your life here in the western suburbs of Chicago. If that does apply to you, I would love to meet you, though. That would be fascinating, and you can uh, save all of your... Uh, you know, corrections of what I'm going to say over the next 40 minutes or so for afterwards and educate me on the nature of shepherd and sheep. I would appreciate that. Um, but for most of us, the closest we've come to a flock of sheep is driving down a rural inter interstate, seeing little white dots out on the field. Or maybe for some of us, the closest we've come to sheep is putting on a wool sweater, which is why I'd like to begin today by attempting to resurrect our dead metaphor that is our first point, is resurrecting a dead metaphor. We're going to begin by tracing the metaphor through Scripture. While shepherding and sheep may be lacking in our own personal experience, it is not lacking in Scripture. 
In fact, it is a prominent metaphor in Scripture showing up in Genesis and Revelation and many places in between. And the better we understand this metaphor, the better we'll be able to answer the question of our present series, what is the church? So join me as I trace out this theme in Scripture, and I'd encourage you to not try to keep up by flipping to the passages because I'll move rather quickly, but you can jot down the references and look them up later on. So we might begin by observing that the Bible frequently mentions the shepherding of sheep simply because it was written in a day when caring for livestock was pretty common. And so it should not be a surprise that we encounter many stories that involve shepherding as we read through the scriptures, nor should it be a surprise that we encounter many characters who are characterized as shepherds. Some of those characters would be Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. So going all the way back to the second generation of humanity in Genesis 4.4, we we learn that he was a shepherd. Then as we continue on in the storyline, we see that the great patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all shepherds. We get to Joseph, the son of Jacob, and all of his brothers were known as shepherds. Then Moses, when he is, uh, runs away from the Pharaoh, he becomes a shepherd in the land of Midian. David, the great king of Israel was known as the youngest of the sons of Jesse who was left behind to do what? Shepherd the flock. The woman in the Song of Solomon was a shepherdess. Even some of the prophets were shepherds like Amos and Zechariah. While shepherding was likely a common experience for many people groups, it does seem that the shepherding of flocks played a special part in the identity of God's people as we read through the Old Testament. So, for example, when Joseph and his brothers uh, finally are reunited and they head down to Egypt, do you remember what Joseph tells his brothers to say to the Pharaoh? To tell Pharaoh that you are shepherds. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians, and the result was that they were given the best of the land so they could live separately from the Egyptian people as shepherds. So the fact that they were shepherds was a key part of their identity. Furthermore, shepherding plays a very important role in acceptable worship. So as God set up what acceptable worship looked like through the tabernacle and later the temple. It was the raising of flocks and sheep who would then be sacrificed for the atonement of sins was a key part of how they were to worship God. So shepherding was an important part of their worship. And then the greatest king prior to Christ to serve the people of Israel was known as a shepherd king. David, Psalms talk about how David was taken from the flock in order to shepherd God's flock. So it was a common experience, but especially among the people of God, that he chose for himself. Which may be why shepherds, a shepherd's relationship with his sheep became a metaphor for God's relationship with his people. The first person in Scripture to use this metaphor to refer to his relationship with God goes all the way back to the patriarch Jacob who, when he was blessing Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, referred to God as the one who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And in the years to come, others would follow Jacob's lead. So in Psalm 78, Asaph describes God as the one who led out his people like a sheep 
and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, referring back to the Exodus. Similarly, in Psalm 81 and Ecclesiastes 12:11, God is called the shepherd of Israel. In Psalm 95, 6, we see God's people, his chosen people, are called the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And perhaps most famously, in Psalm 23, we hear David take up this theme as he expounds upon the nature of his own personal relationship with the Lord, a psalm that begins, the Lord is my shepherd. This metaphor takes on an added dimension when we see that God raises up individuals from within his people in order to lead his people. And as he refers to those individuals, he calls them shepherds. These are people like Moses and Aaron, who Psalm 77 refers to as those who led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, or God led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We see Joshua, the son of Nun, being referred to this way in Numbers, where it says, Let the Lord appoint a man over the congregation who shall lead them out and bring them in. Clearly a shepherding imagery here, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. In the Judges, in First Chronicles, uh, God refers back to the Judges, and he calls the Judges uh, those who, who God had commanded to shepherd my people. And then, of course, to David, the Lord directly says in 2 Samuel 5, 1, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. But none of these shepherds that God raised up to take care of his people throughout history, none of these shepherds were the shepherd. God was the shepherd, and they were what we might call under-shepherds. They were caretakers. They were appointed to care for God's people by God, human leaders commissioned by God to lead his flock. But as the storyline of Scripture unfolds, one thing we see is that none of these human shepherds were able to lead God's people back into a right relationship with him. In fact, many of them proved to be part of the problem. One of the passages that makes this clearest is Ezekiel 34 where we read in verses 2 through 6, the prophet speaking about such shepherds. He says, or God through the prophet says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. And this was the situation in much of Israel's history. God's appointed shepherds did not fulfill the duty in the way that they were called to do. So what does God say he will do in light of that situation? Well, again, through the prophet in Ezekiel 34, God then says, 
I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, if you know when Ezekiel was written, you understand that this is post-David. So who is he referring to? Well, he is referring to the king that would come in the lineage of David that had been prophesied, who would rescue his people once and for all. David was just a foreshadow of this king, and this king would come and he would be the true shepherd, the good shepherd, who would perfectly care for God's flock, which is why our ears start to tingle as we turn to the New Testament. And we hear the chief priests and the scribes recite Micah 5.2 to Herod when he inquires about where the Messiah will be born. And they say to him, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And this is why hope rises up within us as we get to John chapter 10 and we hear Jesus say, among all the I am sayings, I am the good shepherd. And in John 20, 10, 27, and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is in such passages as these that Jesus knowingly takes up the metaphor that we have read about from Genesis through Ezekiel and claims to be the good shepherd that has been prophesied. But to the picture of Ezekiel 34, Jesus adds the new revelation of what this shepherd must do in order to rescue God's sheep. When he says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so Christ did, laying down his life on the cross to rescue and to gather God's sheep back to himself, just as God said he would in Ezekiel 34. And after doing so, Jesus rose from the dead, killing the power of sin and fulfilling the punishment for sin, that leads his people astray and had separated them from their one true shepherd, God. Which is why Jesus is identified in Hebrews 13, 20 as the great shepherd of the sheep who brought, was brought from the dead by the God of peace. Then following his resurrection, our great shepherd returned to heaven. But before he did, he spoke to Peter, who happens to be the author of our text for today. And here is what he said to Peter before ascending into heaven. He pulled Peter aside and said to him, Simon, which was another name that Peter went by, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was 
grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus Christ commissions Peter three times as if it's to cover over the three times that he denied Christ to be an under-shepherd in the service of the chief, chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. He commissions Peter to care for God's flock in the same way that Christ had when he was on earth. Which brings us to our passage for today, 1 Peter 5, where Peter turns his attention to the elders of the local churches and he exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Well, that is just a quick overview of how this metaphor is developed throughout Scripture. And it is necessary if we're to understand what Peter means by it and how it applies to the church. But before we get to the next point, we have to ask, have we resurrected the dead metaphor? Well, I don't think we have quite gotten there because while we've seen that this metaphor has a rich history throughout Scripture, we've not actually talked about what all goes into shepherding sheep, shepherding a flock. So we might ask ourselves, how do you do that? How do you gather sheep? Is there like the sheep equivalent of a duck call to get them all to come together? How do you keep them alive? Do you just throw a credit card in the bin and hope that they take it to town and take care of themselves? What if they bite you? What are you supposed to do then? Is there like a sheep EpiPen for such things if sheep bite you? So we need to understand shepherding and sheep if we're to resurrect our metaphor. So where are we going to get enlightened on shepherding sheep. Clearly, I am not a reliable source on the subject, but thankfully, we can get a pretty good idea about what this metaphor is alluding to by the biblical text itself, by looking at what Scripture says about what sheep are like and what shepherds are supposed to do. So let's do that. First, let's consider the sheep. As we look at a number of passages in Scripture, we get a pretty good idea of what sheep are like, even if you've never actually been close to one. So Zechariah 10.2 says, The people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. So we see sheep wander. They're prone to wander away, and that situation is only exacerbated when there is no shepherd. Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So sheep, they go astray. Ezekiel 34, 6, My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So sheep scatter when they are endangered. Jeremiah 56, My people have been lost sheep. They have forgotten their fold. So sheep are prone to getting lost. Ezekiel 34, 8, my sheep have become a prey. My sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. So sheep, when lost, sheep are an easy prey. They're easily feasted upon by the wild beasts. And to these we could add things such as sheep are helpless. They need to be fed. They are incapable of saving themselves. So are you starting to see a common theme in what it means to be compared to a sheep? Sheep left to themselves are never in a good place. Sheep without a shepherd or with shepherds who neglect them are doomed. So the common idea is that sheep need to be part of a flock that are under the watchful care of good shepherds. Otherwise, they will get themselves into a whole 
host of problems. Well, in light of this, what does Scripture say is the job of a shepherd? Well, it says first that shepherds are to lead the sheep. It's commonly described in script, uh, literature about shepherds that shepherds uh, back in the day did not drive their sheep from behind them. They led them from in front of them. And we see that confirmed in Jesus' words in John 10 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The idea is that a shepherd goes out in front of his sheep and he calls to them and they follow. Second, we can see from Scripture that a shepherd tenderly cares for the sheep. They are not just dumb animals to him. They are not unthinking, unfeeling beasts. No. In describing the Lord himself, Isaiah forty eleven says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with young. The shepherd is affectionate towards his sheep. He loves his sheep. He leads them gently and tenderly cares for them where they ought to go. The shepherd protects his sheep. David found great comfort in the fact that God was his shepherd and God would shepherd him in the same way that he would have shepherded his sheep. So in Psalm 23, 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So David is comforted by the fact that God will protect him in the same ways that he protected his own sheep. And fourth, a shepherd will seek out and rescue his lost sheep. So Jesus says in Luke 15, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? He asks the question, understanding that the immediate answer for his audience would be none of us. We would all go after the lost sheep and rescue it. That's just what shepherds do. So that is the picture of shepherding that we get from Scripture. So we've had a brief lesson in shepherding 101 and shepherding and sheep so let's recall that the church is called the flock of god what does this mean how does it inform our understanding of what the church is that's where we're headed now as we turn to first peter let's refresh ourselves of what first peter verses one through four say five one through four he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is what Peter has to say to the flock. Well, Peter begins our, or to the shepherds, the, Peter begins our passage by exhorting or urging the elders of the church to shepherd the flock of God. And in doing so, he is addressing not just the senior citizens within his congregations. Instead, he is addressing the leadership of the church. It is well attested throughout Scripture that this term elder is referring to an office. Oftentimes it shows up with words like overseers or oversight or even pastor. This is an office that is established and well established within the early church that is made up of men who are called to lead the church. And it is clear from the context that this is exactly who Peter is addressing. 
But notice that as Peter addresses the elders of the local churches, he does so as a fellow elder. Think of what that must have meant to the elders who heard this. It invites the elders of the local church, it invites the elders then, and even elders today of the local church, to see themselves as serving alongside Peter in stewarding Christ's commission to feed his sheep. So Peter's saying, remember how Christ said to me, feed my sheep, I pass it along to you. Feed Christ's sheep. And when Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, he is clearly communicating that being an elder is more than just a position. It's more than just a place of prominence. It's more than just being on a board that makes decisions. No, it's a responsibility. To be an elder comes with a responsibility, and that responsibility is defined both by an understanding of shepherding and sheep, as well as by how this metaphor has been used throughout the biblical text. So our understanding of it must draw heavily upon what we learned in the first point. From passages like Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34 and John 10 and John 21, they teach us what it looks like for an elder to shepherd the flock of God. So let's see what that means. Well, first, in order for elders to lean into that metaphor, they must understand that shepherding is a call to lead. It is a call to lead the people of God like a shepherd leads his sheep. When we breathe into it, all that we learn in the first point, what we see is it's a leadership that comes in tenderness, a tender, attentive care for the sheep. It comes with affection. It comes with courage, protecting the sheep from those that might harm them. It comes with the conviction that when one sheep is straying or wandering away, that you must go after them. And it comes with the idea that it is the responsibility of a shepherd to feed his sheep, to feed them with the word of God regularly and well. To the responsibility of leading, elders must also add the realization that it is not their flock that they are shepherding. So Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And in a similar passage in Acts, Peter reminds the Ephesian elders that they are shepherding the flock that God obtained with his own blood. So shepherding the flock is a matter of stewardship, caring for what ultimately belongs to another, and that other is God. Which is why later in our passage, we see Jesus Christ being referred to as the chief shepherd and why it is not uncommon for elders even today to refer to themselves as under shepherds. We are shepherds who serve the one chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as under shepherds, elders must understand that the task of shepherding is to be carried out after the pattern and example of the chief shepherd, of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. The shepherd who perfectly led and taught and served and sought out and rescued and healed his sheep and ultimately did so by laying down his life for the sheep. So Christ ought to be both the example and the ultimate aim for all church elders. 
Their job is to lead like Christ and to point the flock to Christ. Now, as Peter calls church elders to this task, he warns them of three potential pitfalls. First, he warns them to shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. What that means is that elders ought to want to shepherd the sheep. A clear indication that someone is being called into the office of elder is that they desire the task. They desire to take care of Christ's sheep. It points out that this is not just a duty to be fulfilled. Guys, we need elders. We're down to like two or three. We need a couple more. All right, we're going to choose whoever has the most leadership experience. You, you got to be an elder. We need someone up here. It's not how we go about choosing elders. Elders must come because they want to be there. It is a sober calling for sure, but it is one that is done joyfully out of a love for the chief shepherd and a desire to see God's flock flourish. Second, he warns elders to not shepherd for shameful gain. This is a warning against the temptation towards greed. A warning to not use the office to line one's own pockets or to further your business connections or even to take advantage of the flock's faithful tithes and offerings. And finally, he warns the elders to not domineer over the sheep. That is, this position of leading the church is not to be carried out with an iron fist. You're not to beat the sheep into shape with harsh treatment and strong words. Rather, shepherds are supposed to lead the sheep by example. Which isn't to say that elders don't say a lot. We teach often. Sometimes we need to correct those who are going astray, and even at times there is a hard word of rebuke. But they must shepherd with the knowledge that they too are sheep. They too are sheep knowing that Christ's tender care and the example of other shepherds in their life is what has made them who they are today. And so they aim to lead and to shepherd and to guide with that same heart towards the sheep who are under their care, leading by example. Well, I've been an elder at Grace Church for a few years now, and I've gotten more used to the rhythm of communication. There's a lot of communication that happens with the elders I've adjusted my schedule to fit the patterns of our regular meetings. I've learned how we interact as a team, how we uh, go about making decisions. I've even even picked up on where uh, various guys tend to sit around the table at our elders' meetings. I don't sit in the wrong chair. And I've almost figured out what order we pray in when we pray at the beginning of the meetings. There's clearly Todd and Paul go first and Kip and Daryl go last, but it's kind of a free-for-all in the middle between Wes and Lance and I, and I never know... Is it my turn? Is it their turn? But in spite of those things, I'm well aware, and I'm sure the others would agree, that we still have much to learn about shepherding. Because shepherding is about so much more than going to meetings and making decisions and working efficiently as a team. It's about leading by example. It's about pursuing holiness. It's about waking up each day with this people, this people on our hearts and bringing those hearts before the Lord in prayer. It's about considering who needs our attention most and in what way, and it's about laboring to preach and teach the word day in and day out so that we are not deceived by the ways of the world. 
And I confess that I have not done this perfectly, nor have any of us. In fact, I could probably come up with a list right here on the spot of shepherding scenarios I wish I could do over. But one of the things I take comfort in is I can not only, uh, if I'm not an example in all of my shepherding, at least I can be an example in my repentance. And the Lord has given us grace to go and to seek forgiveness from those that we don't shepherd well. And some of you might be in that boat. And I would hope that if you feel like you're in that boat, that you would let us know. Because we ought to keep short accounts with one another so we can love one another well as God has called us. So I would ask you to pray for us as elders. We need your prayers as we seek to follow Christ and to lead in the way that Christ would have you go. Well, let's turn our attention to the sheep. We have a short half of a verse which says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In verse 5, Peter turns his attention to a group he calls the younger, a word I think could be used to refer to the rest of the congregation, to those who are not elders, the counterpart to who he is talking about in the first half of the paragraph. And while that point is somewhat debated, it is not debated that the congregation is called to submit to their elders because we see it in Hebrews 13, 17 as well. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Do you hear the shepherding metaphor? It's the oversight as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, as we saw earlier, sheep are portrayed in scripture as being prone to wander, to go astray, to get lost, to become easy prey. And this connection is magnified when they are without a shepherd. So what does this metaphor teach us about how we are to behave as the church, as sheep? Well, I think the first thing it teaches us is that we as sheep ought to join a flock. We have here the repeated warning and image throughout Scripture that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that is never a good situation. So sheep must join the flock of the shepherd if they are to be safe. And the first flock that they must join is the flock of Christ. Earlier in his letter, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.25, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Brothers and sisters, the way that we return to the good shepherd is by repenting of our sin and trusting in him. He is the good shepherd, and we must return to him if we are to be safe, safe from our wandering ways, safe from our lostness. Only the good shepherd can do that for each and every one of us. But once you have joined Christ's flock, this passage makes it clear that you ought also to join a local flock. You ought to join the flock that gathers in a local community under the shepherding care of local shepherds. We see that in phrases like verse 2 where it says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you. Well, who is that? And in verse 3, not domineering over those under your charge. Who are the people, who are the sheep that are under the shepherds, that are under their charge? Well, thank God I am not responsible for every single sheep in the world. No. Shepherds are responsible for the sheep in their flock, under their charge. And we identify those sheep 
through the process of membership, which is so sweet that we get to do that today. We identify those sheep as those who have covenanted with us, who have promised to join this body and to serve this body with their gifts, and so that we would shepherd you also as you do that. So we are called to join a flock. And for some of us, we need to do that. We need to join the flock. For too long, we have felt like, well, I'm here, and I know the guys, and they know me. I'm sure they'd say something if they saw something that needed to change, and I'm sure we probably would. But we need to covenant together in what it looks like to truly be a flock. We need to unite ourselves together in this way. It is the way that God has given us to be the flock, and it is not safe. It's not safe to be a sheep apart from the flock. I want to say that especially to those who might be joining online. If you're joining online, there are lots of reasons for why you might be joining online that are good reasons. But we should not be people who think that we're part of a flock through a TV screen. We need you to be here. We need your gifts and your person and your personality at work in this place in order for us to shepherd you well. Now, once you are in that flock, sheep ought to submit to their shepherds, so First Peter says. Now, it's always a bit uncomfortable for an elder to preach on their own authority. So, perhaps it would be helpful to be reminded that this is not calling for unquestioning obedience, nor is it saying that elders are above the law. You don't want to forget everything that we saw in point three about how elders are called to shepherd like Christ. Instead, the call to submission is a call to follow your elders as they follow Christ. You might even say, insofar as they follow Christ. Not because they are perfect, though they should certainly be qualified according to the lists that we find in 1 Timothy and Titus, but because our proclivity as sheep, when separated from shepherding care, is to wander, to stray, and to leave the God that we love. And it is God's design to place imperfect human shepherds over his sheep to keep them from doing just that. And that is one of the reasons why we have a plurality of elders. That means that there's not just one guy up here who is the leader. We have a plurality of elders because shepherds are also sheep. And we need to be shepherded just as much as the next guy does. And so we care for one another even as we care for the sheep. Well, this is not easy. It's not easy for shepherds, nor is it easy for sheep. So Peter concludes his paragraph by commending to us a posture that will help us along the way. And that posture in the pasture is one of humility. So Peter concludes his paragraph by saying, Clothe yourselves, all of you, both groups, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So shepherds ought to lead with humility. This past year, I was reading a book on church leadership by Paul Tripp, and one of the ideas he used repeatedly throughout the book, as if he wanted to drive this into my thick skull throughout the entire book, was that as a leader who still has sin living inside of you, you will constantly need to be rescued from yourself. I found it to be a helpful reminder that shepherds must be humble. In addressing the topic of humility, uh, the author goes on to say, that being humble as a shepherd means that you love serving more than you love, crave leading. 
It means owning your inability rather than boasting in your abilities. It means always being committed to listen and learn. It's about fearing the power of position rather than craving it. It's about being more motivated to serve than to be seen. It's about firing your inner lawyer and opening yourself up to the ongoing power of transforming grace. And I was encouraged when I read that because I have a long way to go in each of those areas. Elders need humility. This idea is also contained in Paul's word to the elders in Ephesus when he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Good shepherding begins with realizing that none of us are the good shepherd. Only Christ fills that role. And until he calls us home, we will shepherd imperfectly. We will need to be rescued from ourselves. We will need to pay just as much attention to ourselves as we do to the flock that we have been called to oversee. So it also takes humility to be a sheep, to recognize that I need to join a flock I need to be shepherded in order to save me from myself. To recognize that choosing to do Christianity alone and on my own terms away from the shepherding care of a local church is dangerous. It's dangerous because left to myself, even with the best of intentions, I know I will wander from the God I love. Continuing in sinful living to which I am blind. Brothers and sisters, you are blind. To your sin in so many areas. You need brothers and sisters in Christ to help you see it and to be sanctified. So don't live outside God's design for the church. Submit yourself to the shepherding care of an elder board and follow them as they follow Christ. Believe that God in his grace will use his appointed methods to bring his own sheep to himself and to their heavenly home. And we know that he is able to do this because Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, understands what it is like to be a sheep. For Christ became a sheep. That is, he became a human in order to lead us back to God. And while on earth, Jesus Christ assumed the position of the sacrificial lamb, in order to die for us and atone for our sin, the shepherd became a sheep. As Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And now having been raised to life by God, Jesus now sits on his heavenly throne. And as Revelation 7:17 says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So as we conclude this morning, I commend to you, follow Christ. Follow him as your shepherd, for that is what it means to be the church. Well, Heavenly Father, we are prone to wander. And oftentimes the call to follow feels like it goes against the very grain of who we are. Forgive us, Lord. We wander, and we have wandered, away from you and into sin. I pray, Lord, that you would call back our wandering hearts to yourself. 
And I pray for the elders of Grace Church as well as the elders and the surrounding churches in our area that you would give them the heart, the very heart of Christ, the tender, loving, merciful, servant-hearted love for the sheep. Help us to follow in your example of even laying down our lives, our wants, our desires, our ambitions for the sake of caring for this, your precious flock that you have purchased with your own blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.